एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं अक्षय हाय दिस इज सौरभ एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू द फाउंडर थीसिस पॉडकास्ट वी मीट सम ऑफ द मोस्ट सेलिब्रेटेड सार्ट ऑफ फाउंडर्स इन द कंट्री एंड वी वॉन्ट टू लर्न हाउ टू बिल्ड यूनिकॉर्न We're back with part 2 of our conversation with Kunal Verma, co-founder of Freyo. In the first part, we discussed his personal and professional journey. Now, let's dive into Freyo, the challenges of launching a new brand and Freyo's long-term vision. Um that's when I got my co-founder on board and we created a product company which was an analytics platform. uh in this talent assessment uh, and skill development place and that became a slightly bigger play and that was maybe my first step towards a much more structured entrepreneurship uh kind of going into becoming an actual entrepreneur and a business uh, owner uh, kind of moving away from you know most like a you know very small operator to start something somebody more structured okay so the the skill was was what like a online assessment uh thing yeah so so the skill ways was uh, it's interesting it was the way we uh, envisioned it is that you know when uh, my, my co-founder and I, we got together um we realized that look obviously there is a need for skill development and india was going through this huge metamorphosis of you know skill development through different government programs national skill development corporation um there was the timing was right for us uh, a lot of upskilling across professional levels so we decided to create a platform which would do two things one is that it would allow people to uh, look at different professional areas that they were working in and and get very pointed skill development for example somebody working in digital marketing somebody working in equity research somebody working in trading stock broking somebody working in um, let's say performance marketing somebody working in operations research so we picked all of these professional areas which went away from the usual you know softer side of things and slightly more functional domains and we we then uh, uh, spent a lot of energy and collated high quality content for skill development and this is all online so people could actually come online and uh, and the way they could they would assume this content is that they would have two parts of it one is that they would go through a, a huge question answer kind of a content uh, format where they would quickly uh, like assess a themselves psychometric test uh, no yeah like so that. not really psychometric because psychometric is more towards personality um uh, uh, i would say in a larger way yeah softer skill but this was very hard skills functional domains like for example i would i would have an assessment on equity research or i would have i would have an assessment on on financial analysis or i would have an assessment on business valuation or i would have an assessment on digital marketing or i would have an assessment on on social media marketing so you know very functional domains hard skills uh, so we and this was tough to create in terms of the content but once we created the content it allowed people to quickly come on board and it was a it was an adaptive assessment platform just like you know kind of a cat or gmat kind of a platform where if you answer a question correctly that then goes to the next level of complication so uh, so we we developed this adaptive assessment platform uh, and that uh, picked off it, it really took off well um companies started using it uh, because they wanted to evaluate their internal employees for uh, understanding uh, where the employees were on the learning and development scale they started using it for uh, for recruitment purposes when they actually did lateral hiring for different roles 
and uh, individuals started coming to our platform because if they thought that it was a good way to evaluate themselves and then use this score and then go back to apply for jobs and understand where they are good where they are bad in terms of skills so it then became a technology platform which was eventually a marketplace so it was free for consumers and it was paid for by by uh, recruiters and corporates and the government of india uh, uh, we we were enrolled by the government of india national skill development corporation and they started using our platform for assessing their people uh, across the country so, so yeah so i, I think that was uh, that was interesting for us we kind of uh, and that was the first time when we put it together we raised angel funding from mumbai angels uh and uh and then um you know that set us on a different path because now you had external stakeholders you know you had angel investors who were looking at the business and um and who obviously were great individuals they had they played a pivotal role in 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 our, in our lives as entrepreneurs but at the same time they gave a lot of they forced us to be much more responsible in terms of how we thought about the company how we thought about the business um and then i think along the way we we made a lot of decisions we turned the company profitable and a lot of good stuff happened okay so uh, like essentially was it a pure online play where you would advertise on facebook and all and get users or was it more of a b2b play where you would have a like a connections happening and cold calling and so on and onboarding so it, it, it was a totally so i would i would say it was mostly if not totally mostly a b2b play and uh, and and then a b2b2c play wherein uh, i would reach out to institutions and you know eventually people who were using our platforms were colleges institutions uh, companies government of india and uh, and then that allowed us to reach out to a large set of individuals and then it allowed us to parallelly increase the services that we were offering so while this platform was being used uh, for example by colleges who wanted to get their students onto campus placement and you know find out what what their students were good at and what not the same college institutions are reaching out to us to actually figure out if we could deliver again high quality training programs in those specific areas wherein we had done assessments for them so we then we then introduced a whole line of trainings uh, that was again delivered in person we delivered a network of people who would deliver this uh, and i think that's how things evolved we had like two or three lines of businesses uh, uh, and most of it and almost all of it was b2b but again i think the focus was on the individual whose lives you were impacting who would actually end up using the platform assess their skills or get a job so that was the main focus and the channels ended up being b2b and b2b2c okay so from hr tech how did you get into fintech <laughs> yeah i think uh, uh, that was an interesting uh, transition so um so, so we had turned the, the the company profitable at that point in time and we were uh, just in the process of uh, you know getting planning for our next fundraise um and i was uh, i was about to take a flight and you know go to one or two cities in india uh, we were bangalore based of course so we just about fly out and you know got got a whole bunch of meetings lined up for a series a raise and we started getting some very good inbound saying that, okay like people are having conversations looks like you guys are doing something interesting wanted to come and talk um what kind this, of uh, valuation were you seeking at that time like how big were you at that time i mean we were not really that big at all we were just like we were very small this just an angel funded company we were just like you know uh, at that time at the series a stage we would just be like looking at a you know company with a valuation of like a few millions of dollars very very early stages just, uh, you know because we we turned the company profitable within 18 months of launch after raising angel funding 
so uh, the, the whole the whole idea at that time uh, again was for us to be as much in control of our destiny as possible and our angel investors uh, really uh, re- really supported that view saying that look why don't you come on top of your entire business model and then you think about what you want to do and those were not the times when edtech uh, was uh, as hot as it as it is today right that was like some 7 8 8 years ago so uh, uh, maybe it was a matter of timing but when we and were your funds we realized was that, like a couple of crores a month types or like less than one yeah yeah, yeah but pretty much yeah 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 exactly that was a, that was the range that was the scale that we were operating in exactly exactly um and i think uh, and they and obviously a small team and, and lean operations very nimble completely tech people in the company and only the founders were really doing all the business development so it was a very lean and fast operation and that's what helped us keep growing faster right i mean we, our product was getting used in across 400 cities uh, in india and southeast asia and uh, you know a lot, a lot of people so we grew very fast um but I, but i think right at that time uh, when we were about to raise series a i mean uh, we had a couple of conversations with some people and we knew that look at that time when we were looking at the business we i mean i, I was very clear that the way we were building it and the timing of it all i did not see that company becoming you know like touching 100 million dollars as as a in terms of enterprise value in the next few years back then uh i knew it would grow and i knew that it would take its time and it would eventually become a good company generating good cash flows so i was confident about that part but i did not see this becoming like into a major 100 million dollar company and then growing from there to probably a much bigger than that right and something that i would actually put my entire life behind and uh, it, it was not an easy decision because on one side i could actually grow i mean get a series a done pretty much at that time and we would have taken the next step but had to had to kind of think three steps uh you know three steps ahead and say okay what if what if i do this like am i going to go deeper and deeper into this or do i need to uh look at the larger picture and evaluate my own opportunity cost so anyway that happened and then um, what made you feel that it's not going to be big were there any external signs you know triggers yeah so I, I think at that time the market was not very this is like 2013 you know 14 time frame the market was not very receptive of a completely technology driven education system uh, whether it is upskilling or assessment right there were a lot of smart, there were a lot of products out there uh, and they were doing their job but um we didn't see that as like probably really catching fire I think around this time metal aspiring minds these would have been your peer group. Yes, that's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think while we were looking at those companies and I you know all all of them I mean kudos to them for building the companies in their own right. Um, but you know as an entrepreneur I personally had to evaluate my opportunity cost and it is not easy to do because you know whether you pick a small problem to solve or you pick a big problem to solve the pain that you will go through is the same. So if you are going to go through the same amount of pain and sleepless nights then you'd rather pick a bigger problem. And uh, this is something that uh, I did not know on day one of starting my journey as an entrepreneur but I knew a few years into my journey. So it's also a discovery process right. So more than anything else on you know more than anything else I realized that you know what had really changed for me is that I started taking better decision my judgment improved significantly. 
uh, in terms of evaluating opportunity, evaluating cost of time and capital, and evaluating how to take uh, you know overall decision on a day-to-day basis. So, so with that, and if I saw that you know, hey, India was just about uh, you know becoming a, a digital uh, uh, you know a digital country, but very early days, right? E-commerce had not really taken off through the roof. Um, it was becoming super popular, but not really as big as it was today. People are still questioning, saying, will there be a massive digital market? Um, will the active internet users in the country be there or not? Will smartphones become the thing of the future or not? And how will the digital businesses be valued? And, you know, some things will may not ever become properly digital and profitable, particularly things like education. So I, I was looking at all of these signs and I had to take, make a judgment call. I don't know, maybe if I... Uh, if if I had stuck with that and if I figured it out and navigated my business differently, maybe through the pandemic, I would have done very differently. But uh, you never know. But you know, life is life cannot be lived lived on what ifs. Um, so so we so anyway, so I had an opportunity and we decided that look, let's let's uh, let's see how we can build this out. And right at that point in time, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, you know one of our uh, clients whom we actually worked for in, in in singapore they were interested in uh buying the product and the ip that we had built um and i had happened right about that time just before raising series a so we went back and spoke to a couple of our board members and they were very supportive because you know we had told them that obviously company is profitable and as investors none of you will you know none of you will ever need to take a haircut if we exit the company you know, that's like, you know, our, our word as entrepreneurs. And they were very supportive. They said, yeah, absolutely. Why not? So we ended up selling, uh, selling Skillways. And, uh, and, and then, um, um, and then uh, you know, we said, okay, you know, now, like, you know, onward and upward, now the next thing. And, and right about the time when we were thinking about doing that is when the seeds were being sown for jumping into fintech, which is what uh, we're doing today. Hmm. So when you sold it, the... The acquirer yeah. didn't want you to stick around. Like sometimes no. the acquiring company yeah. wants the founders. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that is true. But it, it was, was more company. of a product. Yes, it was a product acquisition. They bought the product. Uh, so that is how it was. And we were very clear that look, we wanted to move out of the uh, space uh, because you know investing two to three years more in this space would be high opportunity cost. Um, so we did that. And honestly, it's one of the toughest decisions you take as an entrepreneur because you build something and even though it's doing well and you, and you have a great outcome, great learning, but still letting go of something is not easy as an entrepreneur, you know, even when you want to sell, right? You're always thinking, should I, should I not? But yeah, but, but we took that decision. And, um, and in 2015, um, I think, you know, we were, uh, again, putting our heads together. So me and my co-founder, um, and, uh, you know, the, the today who was our third co-founder at Frio. So we had all known each other uh, from the past as well, but kind of, you know, been meeting, but it was all serendipitous that we were thinking about how things are evolving and, and we were talking about consumer problems. And uh, Did you, you know, have so- like enough money in the bank after the bio to like fund your next startup? <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, not like a long way down in terms of funding. But uh, but I think the whole enough to not that, need an angel round. Yeah, I mean th- that is there, but I, I think the path ended up being very different because you know we are, we obviously started the company with a large seed fund uh, itself, right? The, on, on, like right from day one, you know we had raised like a three million dollar seed fund in in, in uh, when we started Money Tap and Frio. So this this journey was at a completely different scale. 
um but uh, but i think the biggest but the biggest thing that we all brought to the table was our entire thinking about what problem to go after and what space to go after and how to approach this um so, and i think tell me about those discussions like like how that idea became like you know from a vague idea to a, a clear vision yeah um so it, it it's a lot of conversation around uh, you know what was happening on the ground in the country and what we were interested on and what personally what i was interested in a lot was uh, the consumer space right consumer and technology right so how what is happening in the consumer space out there how is technology changing things and what are some of the biggest factors which are affecting people's lives and uh, and and money which is the way people live their lives by spending money borrowing money and and technology uh, the confluence of these two uh, obviously uh, appealed to me the most like one of the most exciting things for me as an entrepreneur and as an engineer at heart right technology and money then confluence of these two i mean it, it doesn't get more exciting than this for me personally so so we were talking a lot about what is happening on the ground and we saw a lot of trends right we saw how people were looking at banking how people looking at financial services aadhar had just come up uh, and it was getting popular we were talking about india stack and a whole bunch of uh, you know new changes happening a new breed of technology stack getting created in the country completely new trends in terms of how we thought people would uh, do uh, do transactions in the future and uh, and and at the same time we were looking at what the banks were doing which is uh, which is uh, which is trying to operate in in their own ways but not really embracing the change uh, the way consumers wanted it to back then right they're not very, the banks are not thinking outside it they were very inside out thinking like you know i i have a capability so i will give consumers whatever i have as a capability rather than what do the consumers need and can i build that so we spent a lot of time thinking about this and we were there was a clear opportunity to build something and look at some level we knew that um, if we go down this path of creating a company or creating a business which uh, builds products or delivers services for customers in the financial services space using technology we will become a consumer fintech company and if we do this right and build this right this could actually be a big very big uh i would say a very very big play eventually in the future with the potential to morph itself into some form or some avatar of a digital bank small or big or you know some some shape but it was very vague back then and uh, terms like neo banks and all did not exist at that time right it was all about uh, you know um it is all about like specific products and services and today we have this term called neo banks but back then we thought that we will start by doing something and eventually build this into a larger business which could start looking very similar to maybe a digital bank of the future because that's eventually the climax of any big play in financial services and you need to resemble maybe something or some form of a bank or uh, it could be technology driven or not so we put our heads together and we spent a good amount of time on the ground talking to customers individuals and that that was an interesting phase um i remember my time when i was in, uh, living in bangalore right so standing outside uh, in a state bank of india branch in hdfc branch and uh, you know standing outside a mall randomly in the middle of the day and people are walking by and i'm like you know excuse me ma'am can i ask you a question and people are like no 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 i don't want anything please come and they, they obviously are think that you know you're going to give them a free card or fill fill some loyalty program and something so like i got a, a holiday of, package uh, totally 
totally so there was like uh, these enough incidents where you know I, i spoke to people and some of them were entertained me because they looked like okay you know looks like a decent chap a nerdy guy maybe I, like talk to him say something so when i was talking to people once I, i remember i was standing outside an hdfc branch uh on, on i think uh, it was near sarjapur road if i remember correctly uh and uh, i was talking to people and then the, you know the the i think there was some junior guy from the bank branch or the security guard came out and say hey what, why are you talking to my customers so i was like no no i you know i'm just doing a research based on some academic so i kind of cook up <laughs> you, some story you can't even I, say this is my summer project i mean you probably didn't look young enough to <laughs> absolutely i was like too old to be in school by then um but uh, but i obviously had to come up with some reasons that they don't throw you out and i was not going to say obviously that you look I, I, you know i'm going to build a product which will beat your product so that's why i want to talk to your customers that wouldn't have flown either so yeah. i so ended what, up uh, what was it that you were asking like you know what what kind of information were you trying to get we're just trying to ask people a lot about uh, you know uh, what how do you how do you find the experience of taking credit from a bank you know if you if you need money which is like one of the biggest reasons why people interact with banks and financial institutions because they need money right one is they need to park their money and make their money uh, do well in terms of investment the other is they need money and by far in india as a society uh, the need for money is way larger than the need for investing your own money because we are a saving society right so so credit was obviously at the heart of what we were thinking about about the problem and our questions and customer and consumer research was all centered on credit so we uh, we spent a lot of time talking to people i would ask people questions like hey you know do you actually uh, you know have you taken a personal loan from this bank and if yes then um, you now how was your experience being how much time did it take what are your interest rates would you actually go back to the same bank and uh, you know get another personal loan and uh, is your need uh, you know like 3 lakh personal loan or do you need 25000 rupees like what do you really need and what are your choices if you did not go to a bank what would you have done uh, otherwise so people obviously gave very interesting answers um uh, you know right from telling us that look you know they have no choice but to go to a bank and take this because uh, they can't really it's too embarrassing for them to talk to their family or their, their family doesn't have money in the first place uh and giving us proper answers right down to saying that look this is what i don't like in the process and the service and this is bad and that is why people gave us very good uh, interesting feedback and at the same time i also got feedback like you know when they don't talk to me and i was like some i remember one woman customer standing outside a big bazaar and she was like no i don't talk to me i don't want to share my personal financial information my husband is just coming so go away i'm like okay fine <laughs> so she probably she felt a little offended that i was asking financial questions um but but i think uh, a lot of people engaged and we would have ended up through uh, through our through our way of reaching out to consumers both in person and online all put together we would have touched almost 1000 customers or potential uh, individuals uh, uh, and we got a lot of information and that was the genesis of us starting our business and uh, we launched uh, our first product back then which was uh, the with the whole objective of providing unsecured credit Uh, to individuals in the country but completely digital on a smartphone and uh, not offer it like a traditional loan but actually a line of credit so we became india's first app based credit line product uh, this product did not exist in the country at that point in time 
Now, overdraft facilities were there. You know, banks would offer overdraft facilities and credit lines to businesses. But but individuals like you and I were not really going to banks and asking for a line of credit, right? I mean, we were just like, you know, taking loans and stuff. So we created this category back then. A lot of people uh, that we spoke to told us that, you know, oh, well, not sure this will work because, you know, nobody's asking for this. So it was not very, it was not very obvious. It was quite counterintuitive for us to come up with this approach saying that this is exactly what we will build. And we had spoken to the, the, the CXOs, the CEOs of a lot of banks in the country, top private sector banks, top public sector banks. We sat in the, the offices of their CXO teams, CEOs, CEOs, and we spoke to them about this product. And a lot of them said, you know, you're just smoking something. This is not going to fly. This is not how banking is done in India. This is not what people really want. People want what I'm offering. And this won't work. Uh, so almost everybody, maybe barring one or two people, almost everybody told us that this is a bad idea. This will not work. This will fail absolutely. Uh, but, you know, by that time, all of us, all three of founders, you know, we were all serial entrepreneurs by that time. And we had our own conviction in terms of how we looked at the world. And we were approaching it from first principles. Saying that, look, this is what I think is missing, and this is what I think I can build, and this is how I will make money. And it has not been done before, but that exactly is the opportunity, and that's what makes you stand out. And that's how we launched launched uh, the product, and we called the product Money Tap. So this was an alternative for people seeking personal loans. Absolutely. So anybody who was uh, basically going to go to a bank and borrow money, or going to go and uh, talk talk to their uncles and aunts and cousins to, and friends to borrow money uh, could actually download the money tap app um, and uh, they could apply for a line of credit and once they got access to the line of credit they could from that line of credit they could borrow small or big amounts as per their needs whenever they wanted and uh, they could then decide their emi tenor saying okay i have a four lakh line of credit but, uh, you know, I just need to pay a rental deposit for this new flat that I have moved into and I'm running short of cash by 40,000 rupees. So let me just take out 40,000 from this line of credit. But I'm comfortable in paying it back in six months. So I will choose my EMI tenor to be six months. And then, uh, you know, maybe 20 days, 25 days, six months, one year down the line, I decide that I need some more money because I have a medical emergency in the family. I need, suddenly I need, let's say, 27,000 rupees. And uh, I cannot go to a bank and ask for a loan for 27,000 rupees. And if I, even if I did, and even if they were to entertain me, it would take me two weeks to get it. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, uh, but the bank would give me a personal loan of 4 lakh rupees. And then I would have to pay interest on the entire amount on day one. So instead of that, I mean, people realize that this flexible product, where they could just keep the line of credit with themselves, but start borrowing from it only when they really needed the cash. So that uh, that proposition really stuck with customers. So I think, you know, one step at a time uh, is how we approached it, uh, focused obsessively on customer experience um, and focused a lot on what the customer wanted and the economics behind the business. And then that's how we created the company. I think, uh, you know, one thing led to the other. And today we are the largest credit line product in the country. I mean, by far, like a lot of people have tried to do it probably like probably a fraction of our size, but uh, this product continues to be one of our flagship products today. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's part of the larger Frio Neobank that we have built today. 
Okay. So, uh, essentially, your consumer research told you that people need speed and flexibility, and which is how the product got built up. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Indian consumer is very demanding, right? They're like hard bargain seekers. So people absolutely wanted speed and flexibility, like you said. Um, But they also wanted it to be convenient and affordable at the same time. So convenient because, you know, I, I, I don't want to leave my house. Right. Okay. Okay. Convenience, I understand. But how could you be affordable compared to banks? Yeah. So I think so. that was one of the other tough problems, right? So it's like a, you know, it's like a Rubik cube because, you know, you move one piece here and then suddenly some other side is broken because, you know, you are fixed, you're solving for red color. Now yellow color is disturbed because you solved for red color. So you're absolutely right. It was not easy. But when we, when we architected the product, uh, you know, we worked closely with one or two banking partners because we were going to use their balance sheet at the back end. But uh, the product construct would be completely ours. The platform, the technology, the entire end-to-end process would be ours. So when we were putting it together, when we architected, we cut out a lot of, um, I would say, uh, flab from the entire credit product. Okay. Like typically what a bank pays to the DSAs for sourcing the loans and so so that part you cut yeah i mean not just that i mean think about it like this right so for a bank to be able for a traditional bank with a traditional operating model to be able to service a home loan you need to be paying for the branch office where the customer walks in so the retail cost the brick and mortar cost a fat operating cost is not uh, something that justifies a twenty-five thousand rupee loan uh, unless you have a clear path to making a lot more from that same customer. But when you take out the entire bloated cost structure uh, out of the picture and you, introduce us, and you introduce a slick technology platform that the customer is, is finds it intuitive to use, it changes the game in terms of how much money and manpower you need to throw at that process. Uh, and obviously the speed in which case the customer touch points go down, the time you spend internally goes down and, and then you can scale it, right? Your, your, your same team can now process 100,000 customers instead of processing only 1,000 customers because it's a technology process. So, so, so that allowed us to uh, really create a very fast and scalable system. And when we did that, we realized that the credit line product was something that customers loved and they got it and they started borrowing a lot. So the, the, the unit economics started working out really well. And that's how the, the product at a customer level started getting very profitable. And, and I think, and, and then one step in front of another, like I said, and, you know, uh, eventually we started with one partner and then, you know, the word spread very quickly. In a couple of years, people knew us uh, that, look, these guys are actually probably the best credit line product in the country. The only guys who've been able to pull it off with such sophistication. Uh, and uh, thanks to our team and and uh, mostly to our customers, we had a we had a really uh, I would say a smooth product. You know, a completely chat based experience, as if it's like chatting with like a WhatsApp with your friend, uh, ported in seven seven vernacular Indian languages from Marathi to Bengali to uh, Tamil to Telugu uh, to Hindi or English, and that really uh, that really changed the game for us. Hmm. And uh, did you need an NBFC license for this or like because you had a bank partner, so that was not needed, like because the loan is not on your books? Yeah, that's correct. So initially we did not need it. Uh, we did not need an NBFC license, but you, we needed to create a structure wherein because we wanted to control the entire product journey and the customer journey, 
um, we had to make sure that uh, we control pricing, we control experience, uh, and we created more bank partnerships wherein we didn't need to bring in our own NBFC model, but um, we still had uh, you know a large say uh, in how the revenue would be structured. So we started creating business and commercial models with our banking partners, which is all about revenue sharing and risk sharing. Um, and along the way, so when we actually then thought about what next, like what's the larger vision for this business, where will it go? We knew that uh, getting our own NBFC license in the mix was going to be an important piece of the larger puzzle. So we did get, a, we, we applied to the RBI and we got our own NBFC license, I think sometime in 2019. Um, and uh, and and today, you know, although it's a smaller portion, but our NBFC is uh, operational, and we lend on our own books uh, in addition to, uh, you know, lending overall as a platform in partnership with a large number of banking players. Now we ask you all to check out Freo Save, India's first credit building savings account. For more information, sign up for free by visiting www.freosave.com and get exclusive access to the Freo Save app. What was your uh, customer acquisition strategy? Like, you know, the, the people who were taking loans or taking the line of credit, how, how did you get them on? Yeah, um, yeah. The the two things. One is the story that you say, and the second, obviously, the channel that you use to put the story out. Uh, the the story was not too complex, right? The story is very simple. I mean, if you have a product that is really superior to what anybody else is offering, uh, then it comes down to your ability to explain that product in a very simple form. And uh, thanks, thanks to the team that we have, uh, the entire marketing and product team and thinking that the team was able to put together a clear explanation that, you know, this is how your money problems in life can get addressed. And uh, as this message started going out to consumers, the channels that we used were initially mostly digital, which is, uh, you know, uh, I would say a combination of search engine optimization, search engine marketing. Uh, I would say paid performance marketing, inbound content-based, uh, organic inflows, social media presence, uh, and then a whole bunch of online partnerships. And then I think eventually ex expanded a lot into different formats of partnership with other companies, affiliates, offline partnerships, and so on. Um, but largely, I would say almost completely digital in the early days, and then expanded into other formats of partnerships. How would partnerships give you customers? Like say with an e-commerce company that when the customer is paying for the product, then you offer him a way to take a loan. No, and pay. So, yeah. So uh, no, it's so not exactly like that because that would be like a you know uh, uh, financing right at the point of checkout should become more like buy now pay later uh, or like a purchase checkout financing. But mostly in terms of companies, uh, other companies uh, who had. Uh, customers of their own that they were offering some other products and they reached out to those customers and said hey are you interested by the way we believe that because of your profile you might be eligible for uh, let's say a financial product like a line of credit are you interested for it and the customer said yes we are interested and that's how we forged a partnership and then we partnered with a whole bunch of people with different formats of such arrangements Got it, got it, got it. Okay, like a special offer thing, which yeah, like say that, yeah. or you know, in some cases, companies themselves wanted to expand into financial services themselves. Right, companies were doing other things, and they wanted to expand to financial services, but they did not want to build everything on their own, so they partnered with us. 
and the credit line would be offered from our side so so we were we were very clear that look we are we are going to be good at only a few things um but we should be the best in those few things and for everything else we should just collaborate and partner and eventually over a period of time decide whether we want to build out more capabilities or not and that created a grad uh, created a complete business strategy for us which is predicated a lot on partnerships so collaboration with other players in the ecosystem whether it is banks or nbfcs or other players or consumer companies is a big part of how we think about our business strategy hmm hmm okay uh, and uh, tell me about the founding team like uh, who were your two founders here co-founders sure so uh, two co-founders bala and anuj um uh, both of them uh, again serial entrepreneurs um anuj and i were uh, co-founders in my previous uh, company skillways the analytics platform that yeah that we created uh, and he and i uh, known each other for a while uh, we both of us went to indian school of business uh, about a year apart um so we known each other since those days um and uh, and bala uh, we knew because at that time bala was wearing a different hat as an investor before he turned back to being an entrepreneur um but he was in bangalore as well and we used to meet uh, in in different context and i think uh, it was just serendipitous that we were uh, stayed in touch about a lot of things and you know paths crossed again with bala and he was thinking about this and we were also thinking about starting something and i think that's how it came together but uh, but, but, but both of them have like phenomenal background they just like kind of bring so much strength to the table uh, anuj uh, uh, being a mathematics graduate uh, you know spent the early days of his career in the advertising industry and then post his business time as business business school he spent a lot of time in telecom and, and, and you know has built retail businesses and looked at retail businesses at scale um so he build, he he brings a unique perspective from that standpoint and bala himself has been an entrepreneur uh, engineer from iit chennai who went to the valley and spent about 17 years there uh, and done a whole bunch of startups uh, including uh, snapfish which is uh, one of the largest digital photo companies which was sold to hewlett packard and then and then and then bala spent a lot of time uh, with uh, you know, with the aadhar ecosystem when he was one of the volunteers with aadhar on day 0 working with mr nandan nilkani um so he was he was quite involved in the in, in the entire ecosystem and then he went back to being uh, he he wore the, the the investor or the vc hat for some time he started prime ventures um uh, as one of the founding partners and, and then eventually he realized that you know uh the entrepreneurship calling uh, was very strong so he went back to uh, you know he exited his whole uh, position as an investor and you know went back to being an entrepreneur and and, and i think we all got together when we all knew each other so that's how we all got together and we started it okay yeah and prime ventures is also the one who gave you the seed fund like the initial yes that's right so bala was not a Paul was not a part of uh, Prime Ventures at that time. He had already quit his position. But yes, Prime Prime Ventures, obviously strong believers in us. Uh, Prime uh, did come in did come in very early on, and they are still uh, you know very strong believers in our business today. So, uh, how much uh, have you raised after that initial seed round? So, uh, so totally. Uh, so we went through a you know a bunch of uh, fundraisers. Uh, you know, we did a seed, and then we did a Series A, during which Sequoia came in, 
um and uh, that was a series a led by sequoia capital um and uh, like about a close to a uh, i would say around a around, around a 9 million dollar check at series a stage and uh, and then we again did a series b uh, which is uh, you know close to a close to a 26 uh, million dollar check in series b itself so so that's how that's how we've done so far and, and now now i think as as freeo we kind of growing coming out of covid and growing fast again so so yeah so from uh, money tap to freeo like uh, you know when did that movement happen like you know so you initially started as a line of credit app then how did that expand yeah 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 so uh, you know that's an interesting part because we always had it in the back of our mind that the eventual play has to be much has to be much larger uh and uh, it has to go obviously beyond a single product company um so so we launched a line of credit and then we launched other credit products and we had our own co-branded credit cards in the market uh, co-branded with another bank um today we are as far as as far as having your own credit cards go today as a consumer fintech we are the largest uh, credit card consumer fintech in the country um and uh, we have about our credit cards portfolio might be maybe roughly around 10% of the size of indus and bank's credit card portfolio um broadly speaking broadly speaking um but uh, but, but but as we introduced more products we knew that uh, you know the the larger brand that the customers relate to has to be one where they don't just associate a line of credit but uh, they associate other products as well and uh, the one thing that we realized is that uh, the 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 future which is a multi product uh, entity uh, which would eventually morph into some form of a digital bank has to have its own brand identity and that is the brand that is the umbrella mother brand that our customers uh, should actually associate uh, with the, the the customers the brand that customer should believe in the the brand that customer should want to come to so we had to think of it uh, from a larger consumer brand consumer association standpoint and uh, we knew that while credit uh, would obviously be one of the most important pieces uh, in our larger banking's play um, the brand associated with only credit has its own limitations uh, because then you know if, if people know you for that particular product uh, then their association sometimes is too strong right or well, your strength can also be a weakness from a branding standpoint um so so we decided to keep the money tap brand intact uh, focused on the credit uh, credit line product and then think of creating a much larger brand uh, as a digital or bank of the future or as a neo bank today um and uh, have multiple products uh, uh, kind of coming under that brand uh, with the whole vision that eventually in the future people should see us as a multi product brand and that's how we made the transition so it was in the works uh, thinking about it a lot a lot of background work and research went into when what timing but eventually it all came together and that's when we announced uh, the brand when but did you make the move from like uh, in terms of creating a separate brand yeah so so this happened uh, so this happened uh, uh, during the pandemic year uh so we actually spent a lot of time and energy in putting it all together and towards the uh, towards the second half of 2020 is when this actually went went live 
and uh, and then you know a lot of obviously you know it's like an iceberg right you only see like maybe top 1% and 9 10% is below water you don't see um so a lot of background work went from the team members and eventually came together towards the end of last year hmm okay so uh, like why the name frio like you know what yeah so i i think uh, um uh, The, 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 we obviously announced the brand and all very recently 2021 even though the products and everything had gone live much earlier like i said um but uh, obviously to the branding strategy i think the name uh, represents uh, it's a coined word but it represents freedom uh, it represents uh, the whole idea that we should be able to provide a window to our customers which opens doors for them and it provides them a lot of financial freedom in the way they want to choose how to build their lives um so i think with a with a with a mix of ideas around freedom and opening doors for our customers we actually created this brand name which we wanted to be simple easy to remember uh and something and something which kind of is, is very easy to go with short and simple and, and that's how the name came about obviously i'm giving you a very simplified version but the amount of the amount of um, uh, the amount of late nights that the entire marketing and branding team would have spent uh, particularly my co-founder anuj and his entire team was phenomenal uh i'm obviously giving you the nice cool, cool version of you know having this come together <laughs> there was a lot of effort and hard work that went into coming putting this together Uh, 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 okay so what is frio is it like a bank for like you know for a lay person what is frio yeah so so yeah i mean obviously the 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 the, the business uh, version of it is that frio is a neo bank uh, but for a customer the frio is uh, going to be the banking platform of choice where customers can come and uh, get access to intuitive simple convenient products around credit around pay later around savings around a whole bunch of products um so we have uh, you know disclosed a few products and a few more products are in the pipeline and uh, because of media reasons i can't uh, uh, disclose the names right now exactly what and when but uh, the idea is that these should allow the customer to then see um that hey i as a customer have one window or one login which is freeo and through which i am able to access a whole bunch of intuitive uh products and services which are important for me to build my financial life how do i build my uh, financial life in terms of how do i get access to money how do i uh, save uh, or, or let's say spend my money intelligently and how does that help me build my credit profile so that in the future when i need to actually borrow more money or do something bigger then i should be able to do it with freeo so for customers freeo is a destination where they can come and meet the needs of their financial lives in one place in in a very by accessing very simple intuitive flexible products all through the convenience of their smartphone and if they actually like the product then they should be able to build a complete journey with us not just for one product but if they use one of our products we should then be able to help them uh, you know get access to other products so it's it's going to be a long long journey wherein customers can actually build a lot of things in their financial life with us not just just come and buy a product or a service and then just walk away but we want to be able to engage with our customers help them through their journey in different aspects of their financial life but our focus is on helping people uh, helping people improve their financial lives and make it simple and intuitive and affordable and that's how we are thinking about freeo 
So essentially, it's a replacement to an ICICI bank. Like, like you, you start, <laughs> uh, I, I love I mean, how you, you start with there. a I mean, savings <laughs> account. <laughs> Oh, well, so I have oversimplification, but <laughs> no, I, I think. Look, I mean, I would love for a customer to think of us like that eventually. That uh, you know, we should be able to, uh, you know, we should be able to play a, a key role in being one of the choice, choice, uh, uh, one of the choices, and probably a digital bank of sorts. Um, if I if I were to be, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I also, you know, I have to be humble about things, an ICICI or any other existing bank like an Axel HDFC. These are great institutions for what they do in the way they do it. So I, so I don't think that uh, I don't think that these larger institutions are going away anywhere uh, anytime soon. Uh, but we do believe very strongly that, you know, first of all, financial services uh, is not a winner take all market in any in any country in the world you name you name it and you know, that's how it is right? that's the structure of, of, the, of the of the economy. Um, but more importantly, what we believe in is that five years from now, 10 years from now, the way a consumer like you or I will consume a financial service is not going to be the way it is being consumed today. And that is what we believe we will become. Um, now, at that point in time, if the incumbents are able to reinvent themselves and, you know, change into the larger organizations, uh, change into different organizations and putting customers first, then great. But if not, then I, I don't know uh, where they will stand in, in the overall uh, pecking order as far as the customer is concerned. But we would definitely, we believe that 10 years from now, when a customer wakes up in the morning and says, hey, look, money is a big part of my life. Finance is a big part of my life, obviously. Where is my loan? Where am I saving my money? What happened? And I did this for the past six months. What is the advantage that I got? And uh, can I just do it all while sipping coffee on my smartphone itself? So it's not just about having a digital app uh, for existing services, right? Every bank provides a banking app. So it's not about provide this. It's not about taking an existing way of banking, existing way of finance, and just slapping it onto a smartphone application. It's about thinking that if I can understand a customer's credit and financial needs, if I can understand a customer's payment need, if I can understand a customer's saving needs, and I can tie it together, saying that because I save in a particular way, I should spend it like that. And because I spend it like that, this is the best format of credit that I should be using. If I can connect these dots for that customer and I can do it uh, using technology so that the customer can consume it on a smartphone, then I think uh, then I think I will appeal to the customer. So I'm not sure about replacing the so-called ICICIs of the world, but I think I would definitely be a, a choice destination for the customers in the future. So uh, do you have a savings account? I mean, you know, that's where the journey starts, right? Like the first thing is you want to open a savings account and whichever entity you open the account with also ends up getting a lot of your other business or, you know, taking care of your other needs. So at Frio, I think uh, the savings product is obviously going to be a key part of our larger offerings. And uh, the way we look at our savings product is it is not just about a savings uh, account that a customer should take and you know just replace all of the savings account because a savings account in isolation is not really the biggest thing that a customer wants right today we are a country where we have close to 700 800 million debit accounts 
So it, it's not that most customers that we will go after, which is the individual consumers, the middle class, aspirational Indians living in the cities. These are not individuals who are lacking a bank account per se. So we don't think that just by providing a great intuitive customer-friendly savings experience, we will become the primary bank account. I don't think anybody should think about it like that because all of us have enough savings accounts. All of us have multiple savings accounts. So we want, so the free or saving account is going to be an account which will tie very closely into building the credit journey of a customer. So while we will offer very competitive interest rates, uh, we are offering competitive interest rates on the savings account product. It will be at par with the most competitive rates in the industry. It will be, be a very smooth, intuitive smartphone experience. But what is really going to be exciting about this is that this is going to tie in very smoothly with how a customer can access credit in the future. And that's that's one of the unique In, in the sense of, that the data of your transactions would help uh, in creating a credit limit and uh, like, like things like that? We would engage with our customers uh, and help them get access to the right kind of products that we have, whether it is our pay later product or whether it is our credit line product or whether it is our cards product. But, you know, take uh, help customers take one step at a time, uh, go from uh, help them save uh, in a convenient manner. Um, maybe by being their, you know, being their secondary account of choice, not trying to replace that primary account at all. Why not? Like, why not replace the primary account? Well, because I, I think from the get-go as a step one, that's not the battle we want to pick. Um, maybe in the future. I mean, if you're like, you know, looking at younger, like, you know, people getting their first paycheck, wouldn't it like, you know, if they were to. Absolutely. I think it can. And that's why I said that, you know, you, what you need to do is when customers are putting their money, you need to first earn their trust. Right. So just because you have an intuitive and experienced customers are not going to trust you with that. And I, and I totally and I totally believe in that because you need to win the trust of a customer. You need to be able to provide great value to the customer. So we believe we will attract the right set of customers. But will I will I replace their primary account? which is driven largely by how their family thinks what a bank account should be, how traditionally their family has banked, what, what location they are living in, and which is the closest branch that they can go to. A lot of cultural factors have decided how, you know, how our primary bank account operates. So we but do not... I we do think that's changing, no? I mean, with the pandemic... Absolutely. The... No, no, absolutely. We, it is changing, absolutely. And I think the way to change it is, again, you have to approach it from first principles. I would love to I would love to claim that, yes, of course, we will disrupt all bank accounts and we'll become the bank account of choice. But I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And I don't think that's the battle I want to pick because we also need to, you know, we also need to focus on where we can be different and better for our customers. Uh, so, so on day one, I don't want to claim that, you know, replace your state bank account with our account i i don't want to claim that but i first want to earn the trust of my customers by saying that you know when you open another savings account with us and we believe based on the initial response this is definitely going to happen at a large scale so we have we are pretty optimistic about the success on this but uh we should we need to show the customers the way forward in terms of what's going to be the uh, other benefit that they're going to get with us um, and, and when we merge it together, which uh, we will disclose in terms of, you know, how the customer's journey unravels and how they build their whole credit and financial profile, 
that is what is going to allow us to then become the 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 account of choice for our customers so it will happen i think it's going to be a, like an organic journey for us Hmm, okay. Although I genuinely think opening a bank account is one of those painful experiences, which it is know, actually a certain <laughs> or a certain demographic, like you know, tech savvy people always who are working on apps. Uh, I mean, you know, if you can get food delivered, then why can't you get a bank account through your app? You know, that that is like a major pain point. Yeah, I think absolutely, and 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 I believe that a lot of people are trying to solve this problem for sure. So the the problem that opening an account is painful is is a is a well known problem. So it it's going to be a point of parity for us in the sense that we have to provide the best in class experience. But that alone is not a winning proposition in the long term. I would say in the short term, yes, but not in the long term. So you need to marry that with your other advantages as a company. And at Frio, we have. some very unique advantages because we are a very successful uh, uh suite of products that are operating at scale today across our cards or now our pay later our credit products so when we when we tie that value together and you know uh, identify valuable cross sell to our customers that's when uh, you know it really becomes interesting for them and not just the intuitive experience of opening the savings account hmm, hmm. okay and uh, this account would obviously not be Uh, like you would have a bank partner right because you you don't have a banking license yes that's so. right that's right that's right that's we we already we already uh, you know working in live with a banking partner at the back end and you know when we actually publicly disclose a lot of things uh, we should be able to also share the names and details of those but yes short answer is we will have multiple bank partners at the back end uh, who, with whom we will collaborate to bring this value to our customers and so this would be like a regular savings account with a debit card and uh like features like fixed deposit and stuff like that yeah i mean it would come like we have the different offerings over there but obviously very lucrative uh, savings interest rate on the account flexibility in terms of operating minimum balances frequency of operation digital access and the ability to quickly access other products beyond the savings account through freeo which is going to be much easier for them rather than you know going and standing in a queue and applying for a loan in an office in a branch so so those advantages as well along with the advantages of a unique intuitive savings account mm -hmm. so uh, this product is uh, primarily for uh, it's like a b2c product only right not for businesses like you'll not open a business account completely b2c we are a b2c company it's a complete b2c product absolutely yeah the idea is to go out of go out to individuals uh, customers who are anywhere let's say aged anywhere from 23 24 years going up to as high as 45 late 40s uh aspirational middle class mid to high income or varied income range people who are comfortable using a smartphone uh who like using the convenience of apps and who are who are living in the you know the usual uh, uh, the, the locations the cities and towns in the country and they definitely want to move up in life in terms of uh you know a, a better financial situation a better quality of life better access to money those are the customers that we are going after so it would be like a similar base as what cred is also targeting um cred uh, i think cred does a, a great job in uh, how they actually appeal to their customers my understanding is that cred uh, uh, appeals to mostly the credit card holders today currently um and uh, and they definitely constitute the slightly more premium segment in, in the country which is like the upper end because most of the credit card uh, you know 
the, the 30, 35 million unique credit card holders in this country are slightly sitting on the upper end of the income spectrum. Um, so there would be some, some, some overlap for sure, but uh, there would be a vast uh, disjoint set as well in the mix. Mm-hmm. Like the people who don't yet have a credit card or a credit line, like that would be a bigger. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people who have loans, but they don't have credit active credit cards, but even a lot of people who have credit cards. Um, so, so a lot of people who are using our products today, they already have credit cards from other companies. So definitely a lot of those plus people who don't have credit cards or, or who don't like using credit cards. I mean, it's just amazing, right? In a country of 1.3 billion people, the total number of credit cards in the country is less than 50 million. So that tells you that, you know, obviously credit card has not been like the primary product so far in the country. So uh, we definitely be looking at a larger population and some of them will have credit cards. Some of them may not. Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. Got it. Okay. And you also have a buy now, pay later product. Um, we have a, yeah, we do have a play in buy now, pay later. And uh, we have a pay later product uh, uh, for sure. So we are looking at, uh, you know, our own product spin, our own experience in terms of how to put a pay later product out there, which is uh, offering a much better experience than the very traditional offline buy now, pay later. Okay. Okay. As it, you're not planning like the digital, the e-commerce tie-ups for buy now, pay later. Like you're, you're looking at more of a, like a card based approach or something. Yeah, I think so. So we're not, we don't believe that the traditional approach, the way the buy now, pay later is done in the country uh, is something that we also want to do. So we don't want to be like the, you know, the 50th player and there are already 49 players doing the exact same thing. There is no point, point doing the same thing. And there are large incumbents who are doing buy now, pay later, right? There are great organizations like Bajaj, Tata, Home Credit, uh, who are who are doing, uh, who are purchase financing, and which is called buy now, pay later, effectively. Right? The buy now, pay later is just another name for uh, purchase financing in some ways. And I think there are institutions who are doing it in a, in, a, in a, at scale in their own way. So we obviously don't think that we want to enter that space and play that game by those rules. Um, we will have our own spin in terms of how we facilitate a complete digital experience for customers uh, for maybe a different type of transaction, not using the tip- not using the typical merchant types, but maybe having our own approach. So, being able to provide a completely app-based experience for customers who can just you know uh, just make a transaction right now for a service or a product, but pay later, but completely through the smartphone. Okay, like like scan the UPI QR code and l- like something like that, like a UPI based approach. Yeah, yeah, something like something like that, but a combination of those collaborating with collaborating with other banks, uh, NPCI and others, and and then creating a product which uh, which can actually operate at mainstream. But again, doing it our way rather than doing it the way the incumbents have been doing it for several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you plan to apply for a banking license also, like to become a full stack bank? <laughs> well, I mean that that is the billion dollar question. Um, well, I, I think we will eventually we will eventually do that. We do have a lending license of our own. Um, you know, our, our our regulator, the RBI, is a progressive uh, regulatory body as such, and they have been talking a lot about different formats of banking licenses, right? So you have small finance bank licenses, yeah, and you have. Uh, the payments bank licenses and the, the, the regulator has been talking a lot about ideas around uh, you know, license on tap as far as a digital license is concerned. So we, we definitely think that a few years down the line, um, we will get into that as well. But how that happens, when that happens, 
Uh, I guess it's a little too early for me to uh, exactly state with confidence, but that's definitely that's definitely a dream for us to be able to take a company to that scale. Uh, let's see how how, the, how that pans out, but uh, but yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So, uh, how big is uh, MoneyTap slash Frio today? Like, what are the uh, number of people? Like, you know, some numbers if you can say, like, how many people have active uh, credit lines or what is the total amount of uh, money lent out uh, that would be interesting sure sure i mean i can share the numbers that are there in the public domain uh, or we are allowed to put out there in the public domain um so so i think overall overall as a company at frio uh, till date we have now disbursed uh, close to almost a billion dollars one billion dollars of credit um and uh, the number of users that we have overall attracted to our platform uh, has uh, has exceeded uh, uh, well more than 10 million in terms of overall users who have come to our platform. Um, the number of active transacting customers is smaller than that, obviously. Um, but uh, uh, and that and then I think the other thing is um, um, obviously we see a large geographical penetration today we see presence of our products uh, where customers from more than 80 cities in the country are using our products um and uh, i think the pre pandemic time we were growing like a 3x year on year i think the the, the covid year we we also grew uh, significantly we added a large number of registered users we added a large number of credit uh, transactions uh, through our platform. And now we are back to a very strong growth trajectory uh, where we believe the next the next, the next, next 12 to 15 months is, uh, is again going to be interesting where we will probably see a 3x jump in the size of our company. How much did you grow during COVID? Like, was it like a more than 3x or like in the last financial year? Yeah, so I think during COVID, uh, we grew the user base uh, from uh, almost like, you know, um, 10 million registered users to well over 13 million registered users. Um, so that was a huge growth. Um, and uh, so and I think uh, uh, the, the credit by itself just within the pandemic time was, uh, I would say, close to around well over 2000 crores of credit just dispersed during the in the middle of the pandemic wow okay hmm, hmm. and, and uh, what is the uh, business economics like wh- what percentage of the interest do you get to keep how much goes to the bank partners like like broad number not exact numbers obviously but um, so we have a revenue sharing and a risk sharing arrangement wherever we take any risk in the financial partnerships that we have and otherwise, in the products that we run, whether it is credit or cards or or pay later, the, the range varies. Uh, obviously, in some of our credit products, uh, the interest earnings that we get from the customer, we keep a we we keep the lion's share of the interest earnings with us, which is well over fifty percent. But wh- why would the bank uh, agree to that? Like, I mean, I would assume that banks are in a banks have a better bargaining position, no? Like. Yeah, of course, but uh, you know they they definitely get their uh, revenue earnings as well because uh, we we give them a certain their cost of capital and yeah yeah exactly so they get their cost of capital and they get their profit and uh, you know and then the the rest of the margin is pretty much ours so which actually creates like a lion's lion's share of the spread on that front but of course obviously they make money they make a they make a lot of money. Um, and then there are, and then on the cards business, uh, we definitely make a share of the interchange. 
Um, uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I think on the other products, so which are like the the some of the products on the saving side and the pay later, there's uh, there's going to be like a share of uh, any any fee or transactions on a per customer per transaction basis as well. Um, and uh, on the credit business, wherever there is any uh, credit risk involved, because we like to control the credit decision making to the extent possible. Um, and and there we provide a partial risk cover uh, on the credit portfolio that we are building. And so the banks uh, like the like the relationship because the structure is one of uh, incentives being fully aligned. Right. So I have a revenue sharing and a risk sharing arrangement. So I'm incentivized to build a high quality business. And the banks love it because they, they the banking partners look at us as a revenue center because we are growing the pie for them. We are getting new customers in the ecosystem. We are helping them cross sell, upsell, increasing the revenue pie. And we are also participating in the risk. So if something goes wrong, I also participate as much. So, so that's what uh, really helps these banking partnerships flourish. And uh, we are very good at collaborating. At least, like I was saying, and, and partnerships has been a key part of our overall business strategy. And, uh, and, and that's the reason why banking partners agree to this. How does risk sharing happen? Like, do you like take on a percentage of the NPAs, like like the total, whatever? Let's say someone borrowed five thousand and didn't pay it back. Then how would you share the risk? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, so the, it's basically if the losses are X, or let's say the losses are hundred rupees, and I, I I agree, my commercial arrangements are such that I pay X, and the hundred minus X is 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 uh, shouldered by my banking partner. And that value of X varies from partner to partner, depending on a whole bunch of things in terms of details of uh, segments, risk profile, portfolio, revenue, and so on. Uh, but it's uh, but it's a it's a partial risk sharing arrangement where uh, we do not take hundred percent liability or risk uh, on any of the portfolios. And who is responsible for collections? Like in case there is a like default. Yeah. So on the credit uh, side, uh, mostly uh, for all uh, partnerships, we do the collections. Barring, uh, barring a couple of partners where the banks, uh, you know, because of their own internal mandates, they want to keep the collections to themselves. But barring uh, maybe such one or two cases, everywhere else, the collection is completely designed uh, and executed by us. So that's another cost center for you. Like, like Is that like a big cost center or... It is not actually, surprisingly. One would think that it would be a big cost center, but it's a very efficient uh, structure. Uh, because we use technology heavily in terms of how we uh, process uh, collection base, how we use technology before using human intervention to collect money. How do you do it? Like, like the whole bunch of these, uh, whole bunch of these standard uh, standard processes being used by the industry today. You know, auto debits, snatches, e mandates. Uh, in addition to that, uh, making sure that there is a strong engagement with our customers, such that. Uh, we provide them convenient ways of making repayments on an ongoing basis through their smartphone itself. They can just get online and then we follow up using very diff- different cha- digital channels. And, and then in certain cases, uh, we obviously can interact with our customers through phone and in person if it is required to help to help them uh, make payments if they're not able to make it by themselves. Um, so, so a combination, but a heavily digital approach, but a combination of digital and uh, human touch-based approaches is what's helping us um, uh, create a very lean collection infrastructure, which is performing really well. We have some of the best uh, collection efficiencies now in the industry. So like really higher than 95% efficiency. So that really puts puts the, yeah, that puts the, uh, or I would say business on the, on the right side of the credit risk ex- equation. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, what is the percentage of uh, defaults that you see? Like how many customers don't pay? 
Uh, well, so I think overall at a business at a company level, uh, you know, our defaults generally vary, uh, uh, I would say, at an aggregate level around uh, around 2 to 3%. Okay. And and what is the industry standard? Like, how does this compare? Uh, similar. I think the, some of the larger banks have uh, maybe around 1% to 2%. And some of the smaller banks or the NBFCs would have anywhere between 2% to 5%, depending on the portfolio or the segment or the market that they go after. So I think as far as consumer, consumer fintechs go, we probably are the best in class uh, at an aggregate level. Um, and uh, and I think across the board, um, I would say we would be pegged equally for a company of our size. Uh, but I think some of the larger banks who do an amazing job in terms of the collection infrastructure, uh, they would definitely be doing, uh, they would definitely be looking at a different segment of customers, right? Their pricing is lower and their interest rates might be lower. And accordingly, the losses are also slightly lower. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, you know, between the three of you, the the co-founding team, like, you know, how are your roles split up? Like, what, what are you looking after? Well, uh, as a founder, of course, you know, uh, one has to be responsible for everything. So we obviously juggle many hats uh, and also fill in for each other, rotate roles wherever it's required. Um, but uh, currently, a lot of my energy goes into uh, thinking about and working on the entire capital strategy for the company, um, thinking about the entire, the entire, uh, the, I would say the business strategy, uh, finance, uh, risk, uh, data science. I spend a lot of time on machine learning and data science initiatives uh, around the uh, on, around products and risks, uh, and then associated areas uh, are around uh, you know our own NBFC. So, but a lot of business side of things. And earlier, I earlier I used to wear the product hat when I used to be uh, heading products in the early days when we started the business. Uh, so, but today, today I don't wear the product has, hat as such. So, a lot of things on the business side, capital, uh, business strategy going forward, data science uh, initiatives going forward, uh, and, and and the risk side of things. So that's where a lot of my energies go. Hmm. And what about uh, the other two, like Bala and Nanu? Yeah, so I think they, uh, I think uh, they uh, obviously divide the roles across. Uh, Anuj looks at a lot of things around product and uh, the marketing and uh, acquisition and some other projects. Just like also, each of us have uh, enough allocation to special projects, um, so we do that. And Anuj spends time some on those areas, and and the customer facing roles. Uh, the team also work with him closely, and uh, some of the other areas uh, in terms of special projects, uh, working with data and some of the initiatives on that front uh, some of the international initiatives that we have uh, bala definitely looks at that and then we have a bunch of roles that we divide amongst each other and we also end up doing a lot of uh, role rotation uh, depending on the bandwidth of each person so sometimes i'll be wearing a hat that i was not normally wearing but you know because of the way things are going and the bandwidth for each of the partners we, we decide to share the load with each other so I think that that equation works really, really well. I think there's a great synergy in the way the three founders work together. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what is advice that you would like to give to young founders? You know, in terms of what to do or what not to do. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know. Um, I, I can tell you what advice I would have given to my younger self if I ever had the chance to. Um, I'm not sure uh, about other founders. I think the people nowadays are very smart, much smarter than what uh, a 25 year old today is much smarter than uh, I was when I was 25 years old. 
um but i can i can i can definitely say a few things um one is uh, um i would uh, i would have started much earlier in my life if i really wanted to be an entrepreneur but i would have, but i would have, but uh, but pick the right reasons for starting uh, i i see a lot of young talented individuals uh, uh starting up businesses which do not make sense uh the the product ideas are not powerful enough uh which warrant the time of such smart people um so picking the space and the idea that you want to work on is super critical so starting just because you know you're kind of bored in your job or starting because you think there's a great opportunity and all your friends are talking about it and you know you you know that domain so well so just start those are probably not the smartest reasons to start so be very clear why you want to start uh, your journey as an entrepreneur um because no matter what path you choose uh it is going to get tough there are going to be really really tough and bad days and on those days the the why behind what why you started the reason behind why you started is really going to be the main thing which will help you get through the day so if your reasons are wrong then you will uh, you will give up very easily um so you you got to get your reasons right in terms of why you want to start and uh, and if you don't if you're not clear in your head then either don't start or be prepared to let the journey take you in all possible directions without you know without feeling too bad about it uh that's can one can making money be a valid reason like i want to make a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> i i think uh, yeah sure i think only making money may not be the wisest choice because uh, there are too many factors at play that decide whether you will make money as as, as, as in a business or not there is too many factors in play and your your own determination is just one part it's just a lot of serendipity there's real chance involved Uh, in terms of your timing your exposure your location the people that you work with the the way the world is turning um there and those factors you do not control so the element of chance cannot be ignored and uh, that uh, adds elements in the mix which you do not control so yeah sure i think making money should definitely uh, should would definitely count as one of the top reasons but that if that is the only primary reason then um, i'm not sure uh if it'll be tough why, to why. sustain when when you see yes. the bad days like if that is the only yeah because reason. it takes several years to actually create a business which will pay off really well uh the costs the taxation the the ups and downs uh, you know it it wipes out a lot of value if you if you if you if you if you're not smart about it and it takes a lot of time to get good at it so i, I so i would say yeah making money for sure i love the idea of making money i'm a true capitalist at heart um so i definitely i would encourage that yes that should be at, at least at the heart of how you're doing your business planning and unit economics if not anything else so <laughs> i definitely am a big believer in businesses which which are supposed to make money because that's one of the sole purposes of a business right create value and make money so yeah that should be there but yeah that may not be the sole motivator because then you might end up picking up the wrong kind of business also who knows so <laughs> so i think yeah that's how i think about it so uh, my last question to you uh, you know what makes one business succeed and the other one fail you know like what sets apart uh, like the the businesses that take off from the ones that don't yeah i think that's uh, that's probably one of the most uh, 
important question that everybody wants an answer to. Um, I would have loved to know the answer to this on day zero of my entrepreneurship journey. Uh, and, and and then I would have wished, wished for the wisdom uh, to actually be able to follow through on it. Um, but I, so there are a few, few, few things, I think, through our experience. And it's all been a lot of experience and learning. Um, so the, the, the market or the space that uh, the business operates in, that's number one. Um, the, the, the team, uh, I would say at least the, the, the core founding team or the core team, that's number two. Uh, and the, the timing of uh, where and how you're, the, the, the timing of when you're doing it. And four, I think the location. So I, I would say these are four key ingredients and then everything else kind of always is there, like then how much capital you get and then whether you've got capital on time or not. But if I were to summarize, like, you know, the space or the sector that you choose in, right, which goes back to the whole saying that, you know, um, it's not so important how hard you row in a boat. But what's important is which boat you are in. So I, I think that's what I would say. The, the boat that you choose to row in is way more important. So the sector and the space is super important. Um, then the, the team matters a lot. Like the what kind of maturity? Do you have adults in the room who can take adults and uh, adult-like tough decisions or not? Uh, then I would say that the, the whole point of like, you know, the timing of it, like, you know, are you thinking about building a business which is probably 10 years ahead of its time because you have an idea? That is a big one even though there might be a theoretical and academic market for it, but can you build a thriving business for where, where are there real customers today who will pay for it today? So the timing of it matters a lot. And I think the location, uh, super important, like you know, maybe a very similar idea with a, with from a founder of similar caliber might succeed tremendously in one part of the world and it might fail miserably in the other part of the world. It's just based on how people perceive the ecosystem and what like what investors see as their risk appetite to be in and you know well, whether that society and culture values that product or, or service or not. So I would say these are the four key ingredients and you know beyond this there would obviously be a long list of things, but these are the four most important things that come to my mind. That's true. I, I mean, and wouldn't two of these be hard to change? I mean, you can't change timing, right? I mean, you're doing it exactly. when you are. And- and same for location. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, that's uh, Akshay, that's the reason why the mortality rate in startups is so high, right? Uh, because you, you are driven by a lot of irrational optimism. Because you see a business model succeed in, let's say, England or, you know, or in, uh, in the US or in Australia. And uh, theoretically, you believe that customers have similar needs. But, you know, the regulatory, the regulatory makeup of that, the margin in that ecosystem, uh, the, the way customers perceive the value, the trust in the product, it changes from society to society. So if you can just take a model that worked somewhere else and just want to copy paste, that's a, that, that, that's a voluntary mistake that you're making. So a lot of it cannot be changed, but if you know a lot of these things, then you should also not be blindly going about it. So I think that is not an easy choice to make because you're driven, you, you have these dreams and you're like in a starry-eyed vision, kind of you get some a little carried away. So while it is the most obvious, it is sometimes also the toughest ones to follow. While it is the most obvious, it is the toughest to follow. What a note to end our conversation with Kunal Verma, co-founder of Freo. We thank him for joining us, sharing his story and helping us understand the journey of his company in detail. 
like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in. That is t h e p o d i u n dot i n for a complete list of all our shows. This episode of Founder Thesis podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. Long Haul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.